Hello everyone, my name is Zaria Oates. I'm a student at the University of Oklahoma and a reporter for Gaylord News' Washington, D.C. Bureau. This weekend, we were supposed to have the Society of Professional Journalists 2021 conference in New Orleans, but COVID-19 had some other plans for us, so that conference was put online. It's a good thing that they did move it, though, because Hurricane Ida swept through the state just days before the conference would have begun. So today I have my co-host Grace with me to speak with three SPJ interns who were displaced by Hurricane Ida. Jacoby Rivers, Brooklyn Pointer, and Dominique Tolliver are all Loyola University students and each have a different perspective on Hurricane Ida's damage. We can go ahead and get right into it. How are you guys doing? I know it's been a lot this last week. I can't even imagine what you guys are going through. Uh, well, I'm doing good on my end. Uh, we're at my grandma's house right now. She has a generator, so she has power. It's like a trinket of water coming out the faucet. So, um, it's enough to wash hands and to shower, so I'm not complaining about that much. We don't have Wi-Fi, so it's a little bit iffy with my brother and sister, but I told them we just got to manage till power comes back on in uh, Laplace. Other than that, I'm doing all right. <laughs> yeah, um, I just got word today that we just got power back at the house. Um, I'm still in Florida, luckily by my aunt. Um, we thought it was going to be like a two or three day thing. And we were like, okay, we can stretch and like pay for a hotel for two days. But once it was like the rest of the week thing, that just was not financially sustainable for us. Um, and so we decided to come down here, um, take the five hour drive and come down here from um, close to Pensacola. But um, yeah, luckily we never lost water in my area. Um, a lot of our sewage and electricity is run underground where I live. Um, and so we're the first to get power back on in the city. Um, so they're working from the east um, in. So hopefully Laplace will have it soon. Um, I was supposed to be on the way home yesterday, but we're on the way home from Atlanta. And we got word that there's power back at our house too. And we thought we were going to be in Atlanta for like two or three days, but we ended up staying an entire week, like from Saturday to Saturday. So, yeah, it, it just was a really big surprise. And then, you know, school, of course, like me, Jacoby, and Dominique all uh, go to the same school. And we literally just started, like it was just a week. And then on Friday, there was word of a hurricane. And then we, we thought we were going to have an in-person school year. And now we're like doing Zoom for a week until further notice. So everything just changed in like a snap. So did you guys do Zoom this past week as well during the hurricane? Um, no, no. Um, so what they kind of do is if main campus does not have power, they don't do school for anybody. Um, I want to say last year during Zeta, um, main campus lost power and we got our classes canceled because a lot of out-of-state students end up staying for um, hurricanes and don't evacuate and just stay on campus. So we're supposed to start school again, I believe, September 13th. Um, online and then by the 20th they want to be back in person but um, I know a lot of commuters who commute from Laplace and like the North Shore and the surrounding areas don't have like water or power I was talking to this girl who lives in Mandeville she was like we don't have water or power and we don't have the money to evacuate so I'm not she was like I'm not worried about school right now I'm worried about like how we're going to get food you know how we're going to like survive so yeah um, when did you guys realize that it was going to be bad enough that you had to evacuate, and what did that kind of look like? Um, 
we didn't really real we were gonna stay, but we didn't realize how bad it was until after we left and we were watching the news when the um when we were at the hotel and the hurricane was getting closer and closer. And that's when we realized, oh, this is like really bad. And then we seen like Grand Isle getting flooded in um, a mandatory evacuation for them. And then we seen the plaza get flooded like really, really bad. And it was, I'm not gonna say, I mean, in a way it was kind of unexpected. Like nobody would think it was, you know, gonna be that bad. We thought the power was just gonna, um, go out and you know everything would be restored but now like everything is just in complete disarray all over Louisiana and the bad thing is that the only focusing on New Orleans like everybody there was so much news coverage on New Orleans nationally but there wasn't any news coverage on Grand Isle and La Plaza and other places that were flooded like really really good. Yeah, so at least for us, um, the storm was gonna hit Sunday. And I told my dad before I left for school Friday morning, he was like, oh, we're just gonna stay. It's just gonna be a two. And usually for a two or three, we stay. Cause again, our power is run underground. So the most we'll do is like lose power maybe for overnight and be fine. After that, um, that's what happened with Zeta. And that was the three that hit Lake Charles. But once I told him it could be a three, four in the morning, I said, you really need to be looking at like what we're gonna do by the time I got home from school around three or four o'clock, he was like, yes, we need to go because they were saying it's, it was going to be close to trail four. Um, and we left that Saturday morning um, and got stuck in a bunch of traffic. But what a lot of people from outside, like Brooklyn was saying, a lot of people from the national news don't understand. It's like they look at the big metropolitan cities, but those are the cities that are going to have the most flood protection, the most levy protection. That's where they're going to put all the money for, um, you know, to protect the city. And so what we have is we have big levees all around New Orleans, but that water has to go somewhere if it's not coming into us. So what it does is they'll pump it to the river and they'll pump it to different lakes in the area. And Laplace is right in between the Mississippi River and Lake Maurepas. And so they kind of get a lot of that storm surge along with the water that's being pumped out of the city. And therefore like they're more prone to flood than the city is. And if you just don't know the area, you wouldn't even know, oh, I need to be covering this. You know, you would think, let's go to Baton Rouge, let's go to New Orleans. But yeah, um, I don't know how y'all are doing it, Jacoby. I hope you guys' home is okay because y'all got a lot of water. Uh, for my travels, um, I was in the same position like Brooklyn. We were honestly we were thinking about writing it out because we were hearing all of y'all just saying, you know, once it makes landfall, it will be a category four, but it will quickly uh, weaken and it's going to move on up. We never expected to like hover over a certain area for those many days and still be like a category four, take its time to become a category three and then eventually become a category two and then make its way out. That was a long time. Um, thankfully, my cousin was really persistent on going somewhere because we, you know, we're still in the pandemic. Our financial, many people financial, including us, were pretty much, I hate using this word, but zapped. <laughs> Uh, during the initial lockdowns, uh, you know, going through money, all that stuff. So financially, it was like really uh, tough on trying to figure out where to go, if we can go. On top of that, my mom, my brother, they have an underlying health condition. So I was afraid for them. But we ended up just leaving to Arkansas. You know, we still have our masks and everything. And then we were thankful for my cousin being so persistent because that eye wall was over my neighborhood in Laplace for 
what I think two or three hours. And then I'm doom scrolling on Twitter the entire evening, looking at people retweeting and just posting, hey, if you have a boat, please come to this part of uh, Cambridge, which is where I'm located. And I'm like, oh, God, okay. Yeah, I, well, um, I knew we were going to flood it out because it always gets flooded. Always gets flooded no matter what. Tropical storm, flooded. Hurricane, flooded. But my, um, I have a family, a family friend who stayed because she, she wrote it out, was not expecting it to be like that. Uh, she told us that it was worse than Hurricane Isaac. So we were kind of grateful for my cousin to be really persistent on forcing us to evacuate. But it was really nerve-wracking just going through Twitter and just saying, hey, camera just flooded. The back of my neighborhood is flooded. What's my house going to look like? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'll get some more de- details about the house later. But I was in the same boat with Brooklyn. I was thinking about writing this out also. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely understand that, especially coming from a financial aspect and a logistic aspect. But um, I'm going to direct this next question towards, you know, you and towards Dominique. You mentioned your family members. They were here during Katrina. How does this compare? Are they experiencing some similar things in this hurricane than Katrina, or is it completely different? So my mom and dad, I can remember Katrina because I think I was seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, they told me that we didn't get damage at all uh, on our house or in our area. The only thing we had was the fence in the backyard was tilted. That was the only thing. And, you know, some shingles, but not a lot, but the main thing was the fence in the backyard was tilted. So when we went back home yesterday, they were really shocked at what kind of damage uh, the winds brought to our house compared to Katrina. Um, our chimney was kind of ripped off. So we had one foot of water inside the house. The fence in the backyard is gone for me and my neighbors. It's completely gone. Uh I have water in my room. Well, I had water in my room. Uh, the living room also had water, and my mom's room had water. We never had water for Isaac or for Katrina. So this is the first time we actually deal with water damage. Uh, the back part is completely flooded. And the back of my neighborhood is completely flooded. Uh, I have a friend who's back there, and she said she uh, she lost everything. So she's going to have a harder time than me um, recouping. But my mom and dad definitely said that this was our Katrina for Laplace, at least. So um, I like tried to get them to talk about it on record, but it's just very similar in the stress of it. And so they just were kind of uncomfortable with it, I will say, Um, because it's a lot. Like for us, we got over four feet of water in our house for Katrina. Um, That was my parents' first home they bought together. my parents had both just turned 30. My mom had just gotten out of grad school. Um, my mom said they had just redone the kitchen. They had two paid off cars and they had just left for two storms, like two weeks before and a month before. And they were little weekend storms to where you leave for two days and it's fine. You know, they went by my, um, my great grandmother in um, New Iberia. And so they thought they could do the same thing and at the time, my dad worked for um, Hertz rental car. And so instead of taking the two paid off cars, they just took the rental car and we we're like, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, that was just not the case at all. Um, at least right now, the part that's better is that 
my parents don't have two little kids. Like me and my sister are both older. I'm the youngest and I'm 19. Um, they're not as, we still are, you know, COVID has definitely impacted the finances a lot, but they are not as financially unstable as they were back then. So now we can say, okay, let's book a hotel the night before, maybe stay for a few days and then figure it out after that. But before it was like, okay, you go by family. Like you don't have enough money to go to a hotel. Um, but yeah, now I think the similarity with this one is that there's that uncertainty. Um, my mom is like, they might cancel school. Well, it, it's looking better now, but she was worried before that they were going to cancel school for the rest of the year. Um, and what they do, what they did in Katrina, what they did that they were like, okay, everybody's fired. Both my parents are teachers um, and their entire income would just be gone. So um, that was definitely a worry for her. She was also worried that um, they just wouldn't get paid during this time at all since they weren't in school and this was an unexpected break. Um, so yeah, it's more like just the uncertainty of when things are gonna get back up and start again um, because we moved away for Katrina after that. Um, and I don't think my mom wants to move again at all. So that's why she's just trying to find like the financial security. But luckily our house didn't have really much damage. Maybe some shingles are gone, but thank God, like we didn't have any damage um, like compared to Laplace, you guys had really bad damage, so. So during all of this, you guys were still actively participating in this internship. What was that like trying to do journalism when you are the news story and in your hometown is what's being covered nationally like was it hard to continue doing your job during all of that yeah um I was in charge of um I still work for my school newsroom my university's newsroom and so we kind of were like all hands on deck while I was evacuating I was in charge of our twitter and I had to be on it all day unless I was driving I would just see destruction. And at one point I just broke down and cried because it's like, I have to cover it. It's my job, but it's my home, you know? Like, I don't want it. I don't want to see it like that. And it's like, I understand people need to know what's going on and we need to show people where the cooling centers are and where food is. But it's like, sometimes with some stories, I feel like you're too close to it. Um, and it's very hard to report on that and be, unbiased um with that so for me it was kind of hard luckily what we've been doing for um my newsroom is just briefs on the updates of what the university has said but yeah um it's been really hard yeah I remember calling uh I remember calling Mr. Bob during the hotel I told him that I probably could not do this because my mom she's really anxious and I can see on her face you know, she's on Facebook and Twitter trying to figure out how to get FEMA assistance and also looking at the photos of our neighborhood. And I see my dad, he's usually a calm, level-headed person during this time, but I can see even in his face that he was really worried, especially after we had a friend take a picture of our house. And at the time, we didn't know that was our chimney. So he was like, yeah, yeah. His, he had that face of, we don't know where we're going to. I'm scared, but I'm not going to say it but he, his poker face was not good that day. So whenever his face is like that, I know that this is serious. And I know that this requires my full attention because like I said, my mom's anxious. 
I got to take care of my brother and sister since I'm the oldest. So I was like, hey, Mr. Bob, <laughs> I don't know if I could do this because this is happening. Water may be in our house at the time. We don't know if that's our chimney. We think it is, but we don't know. Uh, it was really tough making that decision because this was really exciting for me to do. But I just had to do it for my family. Um, I didn't do any journalistic work during that time because I have a hard time of putting my family first for me. I always pride myself in doing that. They come first and everything. And yeah, it was really hard, though, to say that I couldn't do this. But I'm happy that he understood and was happy to um, help me out to, you know, guide me to see what I can do, what I can't do. It's really hard finding sources, like not finding sources, but asking people, hey, can you talk about this really bad thing that happened to you? Like, there was this lady, I was telling Mr. I mean, Bob about Linda Green. She was one of my sources for one of my stories. And she told me that her son-in-law died. And I had to ask her, would you be willing to do a Zoom? That was so hard. She was evacuated from a former hurricane. And then she told me her son-in-law died. Like, what are you even supposed to say, you know? And I was just like, I'm so sorry. I don't even know what to say, you know? And um, also, I was trying to, like, find students who were, like, evacuated during the hurricane. I just felt like I was being really insensitive trying to do my job. So I just, I have to figure out a way to balance that because that, you know, that's what I'm going to be covering for the rest of my life. So I have to figure out how to not ignore my empathy, but I don't know. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And I know that Jacoby did a little piece. So I'm wondering how you guys are balancing this, especially Jacoby, how you balance making that story and Brooklyn, you know, going through that, asking those questions and, you know, putting yourself in that uncomfortable position. I know that this is a hard topic. How did you guys balance that so far? And how do you expect yourself to do that in the future? So it was a little bit easier for me to do because I had a connection with my mom and my dad. So it was easy for me to say, hey, could you take some time to answer these few questions? I know that this is not the right time, but sort of take your mind off it. We goof along also, but just, you know, I'm going to need your help with this. And then, you know, just tell tell your story, basically. And it was really tough for them to go through that, uh, go through that uh, questions and the whole story again, but once uh, I finished answering the questions, they knew exactly what I intended. You know, the story had to be told. Um, that's easier said than done uh, most of the time. People wanted uh, their story to be told, but the hard part is asking them these tough questions like, hey, Katrina happened. I know it didn't get much damage, but what was this? Like, how is this different? How is this different from Katrina? Or how our house is standing, our house position could differ, uh, different from Katrina compared to this time. Those are some tough questions to ask, but when you let them know that this story has to be told, that people will have to, people need to hear this, it gave them a little bit of oomph to answer the questions and to help me out. And then after we're done, after uh, the story was typed up, I let them, you know, let them skim over it. And they're really happy to know that their story is being told. So 
it's all about sympathy in the end. Just let to know that I'm not doing this for me. This is all for you. Let me tell your story. Let me be that voice for you. And I believe that that really helped out in the end for me. Uh, well, I wanted to answer your question about what I was thinking mm-hmm. on the drive back. I really don't want to go back. Like, I did at first, but, that, like, I was just going through Twitter and, like, everybody's Snapchats and everything, and it just looks really bad out there. Like, the street lights aren't working. There's a lot of crime right now, and everything's just disorganized. There's no stores open. Also, when we when we get back home, we don't know how the inside of our house looks like. We don't know how the refrigerators are. Like all of the food is probably spoiled and everything. So just the cleanup of going back after a hurricane is very annoying, and I don't want to go back. Um, I like had to. I since my parents are all over the place and like mainly focusing on the financials because that's something that greatly impacted them last time with Katrina. And they're more focused on making sure that's okay. I had to remind my dad to like one of our neighbors stayed and I had to remind him to act like, do we have water? Like if we don't have water, we shouldn't be going back. Like I will put my own money in for us to go by another family member and try to like stay a little bit longer so that we can at least have water, um, you know, and have the resources we need. But um, yeah, I was kind of terrified to go back. Um, I'm leaving tomorrow morning at like four. I'm kind of terrified to go back because I know it's not going to be the same. It's going to be really rough. Um, And I'll like suggest to Brooklyn and Jacoby. I know Jacoby's situation is a little bit different because your home got damaged, but try to wherever you are, try to buy groceries where you are in a cooler and like bring it in because my aunt called me from um, Lafayette the other day and she was like, we barely have gas out here. You know, um, so the surrounding area doesn't have gas for generators, gas for cars. A lot of the stores aren't aren't open. So, like, I feel fortunate that we're able to be out here, buy what we need and drive it in. But I'm also really, really worried for the people who just didn't have the ability to evacuate, you know, and who are stuck right now. Um, And so, yeah, I just I'm kind of scared to see what the city looks like after this. Uh, That's kind of the hard part with this particularly hurricane you have to go back eventually i know we all keep saying we don't want to go back but we have to to you know assess the damage see what's done and how you know how do you get food where's gas gonna come from because for me i have to go to baton rouge or gonzalez for gas and that's 40 40 45 minutes from here from my uh from my grandma's house in reserve to gonzalez to baton rouge after that I find gas. I'm wasting gas going to Gonzales or Baton Rouge to get food. Once I get the gas, I'm wasting gas back to come back to reserve. And that's the most painful part of this entire hurricane is gas and food. And people just abuse that buying gas in six or seven gas cans or tanks of gas, then going to sell somebody for $300 or or more it's like why would you want to do that why would you do that that's the hard part with this particular hurricane is gas and food mm. specific well particularly me in this situation i'm not sure about brooklyn or dominique but that the entire state suffering with the gas problems i can say that definitely okay and i i hear you guys saying you're scared and you don't want to go back and 
So how is this affecting your mental health? I know that this is a very broad question and a very sensitive question, but how is it affecting your mental health? I know you guys have schoolwork and things to catch up on. I'm stressed. I'm really, I don't know, like, I just, it makes me not want to go back to the world, like, live there sometimes. And I love New Orleans, but I, every time you have to evacuate, you have to do, prepare for a storm all the time. And it's so annoying. And it, it just messes up your plans and what you're supposed to do. You know, we just started school. And now we have to go back online. I don't want to do that. I really don't feel like doing that. At least for my mental health, um, it's definitely suffered because I'm always, me and my dad are usually the more like level-headed and calm ones. And like seeing him freak out, I'm like, okay, well, I really have to be the calm and level-headed one. And like, it's not a lot of pressure. It's just like, if I freak out, it's really bad. And so I'm trying to like keep my composure with everything. But um, it's been hard. Like, um, at least with, I'm, I was worried even going back to school in person for that one week because I did high flex last year. And so I wouldn't go on campus when the cases were high. I was like, I'm just not going, I'll just do one line. And this year I didn't really have a choice. So I was already stressed and nervous about that within the first week. And then we have to evacuate and all this happens. And now I'm thinking, oh my God, everybody went to Houston or Dallas or Florida or whatever, interacting with all these different people and then coming back to campus, I'm like, oh my God, what if there's a COVID outbreak? Like the hospitals don't have the resources for this. Like that's the thing that's stressing me out the most right now. Um, school was stressing me out a bit before we left, but some way, somehow I always managed to like calm that down and get it together. So that's not what's worrying me. What's worrying me is the fact that a lot of universities right now are pushing to be back in person as fast as they can. Um, when a lot of students don't have the resources at home that they need right now, a lot of our commuter students, I'm a commuter, a lot of our commuter students um, I've talked to, they don't have the resources at home they need right now. So going back and forth and like Jacoby said, wasting gas to go to campus on the 20th, like that's not something that's their priority. You know, they, you, we just need to be more flexible um, and take into account that maybe people might have different opinions on what's the right time to come back and, you know, how we should do it and how we should transition into that. Okay. Yeah. That's sense of normalcy for the first, first week of school, like Dominique and Brooklyn was saying, it's both anxious, but also good to, you know, see everyone back on campus. Although we kept the, you know, we still have the mask mandate, which is all good. I'm just happy to see some sort of normalcy was going on for the first week. And then now everything just flipped upside down just randomly gets one hurricane. Uh, I feel you, Dominique, on being the level-headed person about not uh, freaking out too much because if, if you do, it's pretty much game over because everyone is going to trickle down from that. So it's really hard trying to be the level-headed person, trying to keep, you know, being positive or keeping everyone, like, solid like a rock when you're trying to figure out what do I do next? What do I do with school? I know some professors are totally, uh, well, not all professors, my professors at least, I'm not sure about Brooklyn and Dominique, but I'm more sure they are also, are willing to help us out in any way we can to understand our position. 
But then as a student, you're the mindset of, okay, how much homework are we going to get? Is everything, how much uh, progress have we lost because of this hurricane? At some point in the semester, are you going to, you know, is a break going to be taken away or is a pile load for work going to be piled up on us again? Balancing it with uh, a job or an on-campus organization, how is that going to work out for students? And I'm, I kind of had that thing last night. I didn't sleep till like three in the morning thinking about that. Oh my God, we might lose a break or we might have a pile load of work in the middle of a semester when we don't need, uh, we need that break the most. So it's really been tough being an evacuee and a student at the same time for this hurricane particularly. I wanted to add on to what Jacoby was saying, like not only how much work we get, but also a lot of my classes are hands-on. I'm taking a um, feature video storytelling class and I'm taking photography. How am I supposed to do that online? You know, like you can do it, it's possible, but it's just better when you're in a class and you can touch the camera and, and your teacher can look at your work and critique it with you and sit with you. I just think it would be better like that. And I understand what Dominique was saying too about the COVID cases and how it would be more flexible online. But this hurricane just, it just messed up everything and what I was, it messed up my expectations. So Entergy is saying right now that power should be restored in New Orleans next week. Do you guys believe that? Absolutely not. <laughs> because you know why? Because, um, I was talking to the editor-in-chief at Gambit and he lives in Mid-City and they've had on the map, the energy map, that the power is back up in his area of Mid-City. It's not. They said that I have no power at my house and I technically do now because I know somebody who's still there. So it's just like usually, maybe, yes, but since they had that big structure that provides power to a lot of the state come down, I don't really think so. Like, powering a huge city without that source of, you know, um, you know, that source generating power is very, very hard. So I think it's going to be more the next week, maybe. No, I think it's a lie because New Orleans does not, I mean, this is my opinion. New Orleans does not care about every part of New Orleans. Um, There was this article on NOLA.com showing parts of the French Quarter and like, the lights on in uptown being on and I just was like of course that's going to be the first place that they have the lights on even though it's not the people that really need it and my family we we live in New Orleans East and it's a predominantly black community and we automatically assume okay we're going to be the first people that I mean we're not we're going to be the last people to get lights just because it's all black people and it's, it's a very neglected part of New Orleans, even though it's in New Orleans. Nobody cares about that part of New Orleans at all. I'm actually surprised that we one of the first people to get lights. But, you know, as the Dominique explained it, it made sense. But if that wasn't the case, we would be the last place to get lights. And I don't know, I just feel like they're lying. I mean, it's an estimation, but we're not going to, not everybody's going to have lights by that time. I never take it never took energy by their word at all. Cause uh yesterday, the day before uh Biden came, there were little trucks, little to no trucks on the airline, some trucks in Metairie, not a lot in Kenner from what I saw. 
but like the day when he was arriving i saw trucks everywhere trying to work on power lines and then when he left back to the original stuff little trucks here little trucks there and scattered everywhere and i really do not think the power will be back by next week lv is really surprised but i highly doubt that i really highly doubt that and I, I know that Brooklyn and Dominique, you've both touched on a little bit of the infrastructure in Louisiana, especially given the high tourist population in New Orleans. How different, how much different do you think that the areas you guys were affected in and, you know, the minority areas, how different do you think that infrastructure is compared to the one in, Louis, in New Orleans? Well, Brooklyn and I both live in New Orleans. Sorry if you hear a plane up ahead. Um, Brooklyn and I both live in New Orleans, which is predominantly uh, a Black and Vietnamese neighborhood. Um, Our infrastructure, I would say, is very desolate. We had um, a big mall back in the 90s, the early 90s, that was in the area. All of that's abandoned. Um, A lot of people (laughs) feel like the East is just a breeding ground for crime, but it's really because I think we haven't invested our resources into the area because there's a lot of good small businesses out there. It's just not, you know, your typical big box stores. All of those are in Metairie or the West Bank. Um, at least to touch off what uh, Brooklyn was saying about the power in the French Quarter, that's something that didn't surprise me, but I'm a logistical person. Logistically, that doesn't make any sense. You want to get power to the people who live there who are the service workers, who can give that experience for tourists first and then bring that back. Because what tourist is going to come in to a city that has no power, they can't go eat anywhere. Like, it just doesn't make sense. They want to use the resources to pump back up tourism and get more money flowing into the city. And I understand that. But like, you have to make sure the people who provide that service are good first, you know, and I mean, at the end of the day, like my dad always says, it's all about money. Um, but I feel like that, in my opinion, they use the money in the wrong way, powering the CBD, um, powering the CBD in the French Quarter and not like the lower ninth ward or mid city where people live, you know? So, yeah, no, our infrastructure has gotten better, I will say, since Katrina, but. It's definitely still messed up. I will say, I'm sure the roads are going to be worse than before. Like, yes, we had potholes before and we always will because that just gives us some character. But now there's like glass everywhere and like trees everywhere. So I think it's going to take a while for it to be like safe to really drive around the city and be okay. The East has definitely been ignored for a really long time. And I really think they should start looking at investing into the east more and more this is a, it's a big land there's so much stuff you can do there but if you don't have the resources there's nothing you can do you know the people i believe that the reason why you know crime side needs because it you know you're just ignoring it you're letting them run wild they need attention help them it's just i i, I really believe that it's just a cry for help like hey you're not giving us attention. We're just going to do our own thing. Like if you invest in them, invest in the East and actually listen to the people in the East, they know what they want. They know what they need. Just give it to them. It may, it may be hard for the city, but 
just let them know that you're listening. We're going to do as much as we can and actually do, uh, you know, uh, put forward with that promise. Let them see the progress that you're promising them. And I believe that, that, you know, it eventually will go down once that the people know that the mayor or all the city officials are actually listening to the people in the East. And that's really another issue. Like the mayor has a bad habit of saying everything good that they're doing and still not acknowledging all of the bad things that are happening in the area. Like there was a crisis um, where a bunch of cars were being stolen in the east and like gas pumps and everything. And the mayor and the police chief would get on the stand and just talk about all the progress that they made. But obviously, there's no progress if the people that live in the area still do not feel safe. And it annoys me every time I look at those um, conferences because what are you doing? Like, you keep talking about all the stuff you're doing, but there's no change in how the people live there. I think it's very cyclical. This is the last thing I'll say. I think it's very cyclical because, yes, you have that crime from the lack of resources. But it's also like people don't want to bring businesses there because the news covers the lack of crime and the area gets a bad connotation, negative connotation. So it's like how you break that loop, you know? So I feel like, yes, the East is ignored, but it's like, it's not the residents. It's not their fault, you know? It's leadership not listening to them and therefore a rise in crime and therefore less businesses want to come. And so just finding out a way to break that loop is going to be definitely really hard because a lot of people still have a negative connotation and have never even been to the East. So. And, and in terms of ending this negative connotation, what are each of your ideas of how, you know, either news or people in the public that weren't affected by the hurricane can help New Orleans and, you know, the entire state of Louisiana get back on their feet and build some infrastructure in place that will prevent these things from becoming so damaging. What do you guys think are the options here? Um, I think, though, this sounds bad, but I feel like the only way the East is going to be able to, like, fix itself if people just come in and gentrify it, because that seems like that's the only way, like, the area could get better. If people just come in, those people, white people, just come in and take what they want and do what they want, I think that's the only way it's going to get better in the East, because, like, that sounds bad, but... That's just usually how it is, you know? That actually has been happening. In my area, I've seen, I live in an area with a lot of older Black people and Vietnamese people. Um, Never a day in my life had a white person lived in my area until about a year or two ago. Um, They began moving in and it was fine, but it's like our housing value went up because of that. And like, shops were able to stay open because of that and a new school was built and it's just like I feel like when white people come into an area somehow things somehow um I would add on to what Brooklyn said though and say maybe just showing people the area instead of only showing them what they hear on the news now of course the news has to cover crime they have to be accurate about that and they have to say yeah it happened in New Orleans East um and we have had a lot of carjacking and stuff, but maybe they could do like, we used to have a circus that came out to the East um, that brought a lot of people from all over. Just having different like um, 
what's it called? Farmers markets, like different things that might bring different types of people to the East because we have the land for it. Um, just so they can see, oh, this is not a crime ridden area that I think it is, or this is not as horrible as I think it is, you know, just trying to get people out there because it's not, it's not too far away from the city. I know you all live in bigger cities than us, but like it's 20 minutes outside of downtown. Like it's not that far, but to New Orleans people, that's like so far, that's a drive. If you can't bike it, that's like, oh no. So um, yeah, just doing um, maybe the city hosting different events that are free that people can come to and see in the East, maybe it'll help boost the economy. And maybe we can have those small businesses in the East be at those farmer's markets, be at those pop-up shops, you know, and just making sure we advertise um, different events for the East. Maybe that'll help. That's my only idea. Yeah, I agree with Dominique uh, showing a good side in the East because let's be honest, crime is everywhere. It's everywhere. It's not in a certain area. It's everywhere, no matter who you are. As long as you're human or you have humans in one group, crime's going to be a thing. In Metairie, that's one city people love to go to, and it's not far. But like, if I'm correcting her wrong, uh, Brooklyn Dominique, it's, I want to say, 15 minutes from New Orleans, roughly 15. So it's not far from New Orleans. And people are like, oh, I love going to Metairie. It's so peaceful. There's a lot of stuff to do. There's a mall. There's, there's many things to do. Well, yeah, but also there's crime there. They're having crime problems. There's, there's carjackings. There's killing. You know, there's sexual assault. Why is it different from the East? Or why is it different from any other place? The amount of damage done by Hurricane Ida is still unknown, but the current death toll is nearing 50. The students are hoping the damage is reversible and that infrastructure is put in place soon for marginalized communities to offset the harmful outcomes of natural disasters. Zaria Oates, SPJ.